Uh, this is inspired by Second Kings 2, 1-12. Shall I tell you about Elisha, a servant who knew well how to spell loyal? He clung to his master Elijah, hungry to minister alongside him until the moment Jehovah's whirlwind would come to steal him away. Elisha knew the master's leave-taking was imminent and, knowing, chose to practice the gift of presence, not eyeing future blessings or battles, nor lost in reminiscences. This disciple chose to serve and follow his teacher wherever he roamed, echoing sentiments from the lips of Ruth. Wherever you go, I will go. And his reward? Alicia witnessed the parting of the Jordan, felt the mantle of his master laced with the power of God, grace his own shoulders, received the double portion of spirit he hungered for most. It would seem a satisfying thing to practice being present, to labor and rest in the time called now, in the place called here with the Lord. The Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah and Elisha said to Elisha, stay here. And for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, this is going to get a little confusing, so pay attention. Uh, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you not know that the Lord is going to take your master away today? He said, Yes, I know, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, uh, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. And fifty men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took out his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over on the dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and the horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. 
And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them asunder. The word of the Lord. Smooth transitions. That's what we're all about here. (laughs) Nobody saw anything. There's no one behind that curtain. Well, this passage is a passage about bereavement. Um, Bereavement is often what we talk about. I talk about it a lot in my job as a hospice chaplain. Um, And it simply means loss or separation. Uh, We often use it when it comes to the death of a loved one. Um, But in reality, we are bereaved of all sorts of things. We are bereaved of our past selves or our memories when we think about, um, you know, time, how we were when we were in school or uh, how we were when we were first married. Some of us for who we were in our first relationship versus our current relationship. Um, We are bereaved of Sometimes our curiosities or our uh, innocence when we progress in life. And bereavement's a tough thing. It's a tough subject. Um, And really, it just betrays our utter need, our complete need before God, that we are in a state of constantly longing for something, um, that there is always something that we are without. And um, you see that in Elisha's mannerism. You see that, that he is almost in denial, uh, not wanting to talk about it. I wish there was a more aggressive translation. I couldn't find a single one that translated it, telling the prophets to just shut their mouths or to shut up about it. Um, But there's definitely an edge to his comments and to his reactions here. Um, This is painful. And uh, as Jeff and I were talking about this passage, we we thought that it bears some resemblance to uh, the Snickers commercials that are popular now where, you know, when someone is dying of hunger, they become like, you know, they use famous comedians or famous people that are, you know, just really scary and angry all the time or just really snarky and um, you know Roseanne Barr is the one the first ones that come that comes to mind that she's in them Um, and that Elijah is longing for something that he he knows is going to be taken away from him and And as he's processing this, as he's kind of trying to just remain silent and follow along in Elijah's footsteps, um, there's a real sense where he's confronted with uh, the idea of satisfaction, the idea of being satisfied, and the idea of, of longing and, or hunger. And when I think of satisfaction, I think of Snickers bars, because that was their tagline for a long time. I also think of the Rolling Stones because I can't get no <laughs> satisfaction. That's right. Uh, what? Devo covered it nicely too. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out. Is it on Spotify? Or? <laughs> um, 
And we as Christians are constantly bereaved. We are constantly lacking in satisfaction. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously pointed out that we were born, we were created not for this world. And that there is an eternal weight out there that is pulling us, that is drawing us to something different and other than we've ever experienced. And uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan writer, wrote in his book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, that it is impossible for Christians to be satisfied because the only thing that can satisfy a Christian is heaven. And then he goes on to give a very long discourse on what it actually means to be content when we can't be satisfied. And Christ himself, uh, I think, betrays a lot in his earthly journey. And when we see him transfigured, all of a sudden we see Christ in his utter fulfillment and his utter beauty and the utter glory that he was born into before creation itself. Uh, from time without time when he was, you know, hovering over the waters there with God the Father and the Spirit. And Christ was bereaved on earth. He was bereaved of that glory. He was separated. He was cut off. He was longing for it. And uh, he came here to, to go through that without it. And... Um, when I look at satisfaction, when I look at hunger, I mean, there's different things. You know, Elisha is longing for his master's presence and his guidance. Um, and a lot of times we talk about, like, hunger. Uh, and I think that there is this unique connection. Christ in the Beatitudes talks about, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And then two verses later he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think that something that I struggle with and that, uh, you know, I, I feel like we're all in process is really actually connecting our senses, really coming into a holistic sense. Um, I remember when I was in college, a chapel speaker, I felt kind of insulted when he did it. He was talking about what heaven's like. And he sort of off the cuff said something about how the food in heaven will be like In-N-Out burgers and Coca-Cola. And I just remember thinking, like, that's kind of, we have that, like, that's boring. <laughs> and really, what heaven is, what we are longing for is, is crazy. You know, it's a very popular thing. There's a couple of different stories out. I think one was debunked, but of, you know, children that have allegedly died, passed over, had visions of heaven. Uh, there's another one by an adult uh, called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And, um, it's very... I mean, it's very esoteric when you read the visions of heaven or you even hear about this story of Christ's transfiguration, which is essentially the doorway to heaven opening up on earth. All you really get is descriptions of light, color, expensive minerals, chanting, and mysterious figures. Um, it's just, you know, and you think like, well, would that satisfy my hunger? And, you know, and then again, we have to ask, what are we hungry for? And the, the, this, the emphasis switches from our, our palate, our taste, our hunger for food to our hunger for vision. Um, I've, in some ways, we're all from Missouri because we're all show me people. Um, 
Missouri's the show me state, for those of you that didn't catch that. It's their thing, I guess, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, we long for a vision. I think whenever, I mean, whenever the prophets of God in the Old Testament get weary or tired, God gives them a vision. Elisha here is battle-worn. I mean, they've just gone through several battles with kings. And, uh, you know, we talk about how Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. I think more accurately, he'd be the PTSD prophet. And all the prophets had that. All the prophets were shocked and alarmed by the things they had witnessed. Not only that they had seen their fellow Israelites do, but the things that they had seen the Lord do. It was a gruesome time, and people were locked in battle with God. And in the chapter previous to this, you know, you see just people being consumed in fire. And I think that would mess with anybody. And so Elijah tells Elisha, if you can see this, if you can open your eyes to this vision, then you will receive the Spirit. And again, there's this sense of longing and, and satisfaction that we will never fully receive, but this is the source of contentment. For Elijah that he is passing on. He's saying, if you can open your eyes to this vision and you will receive this blessing and you will be able to be content. You will be able to be functionally bereaved on this earth. And uh, we have several verses that connect us to the seeing and I just want to share a couple you guys from 1 John 3 uh, verses 1 through 3 it says how great is the love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him dear friends right now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, it says, uh, or verse 7 says, Your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> first Peter, okay. First, first Peter one. <laughs> first Peter one, verses seven and eight says it's talking about trials. Trials have come, so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And of course, Paul reminds us in a couple of different passages that we, the way we navigate this world is not by genuine sight. It's by faith. We, we don't see as we ought to. We see dimly because we aren't where we're going to be satisfied yet. 
And the spirit, you know, for Elisha, it's this promise of, of sustaining strength and grace. It's the spirit of this prophet. And for us too, the Holy Spirit is our, it's our seal. It's our, our promise of this fulfillment. It's the promise of heaven. And our communion meal, when we talk about hunger, it's not very satisfying. It's very simple, it's very humble, it's very symbolic. And symbolic food does not satisfy real physical hunger. What it does give us the opportunity to is to open our eyes. And as Christ said, you know, we, we remember, we proclaim Christ's death. We step into our bereavement. We step into our grief. We step into our mourning. And we step into the promise that when we, we are confronted with these bereaved needs, these losses, these separations, when we have great need, God provides and promises provision. Just as he did for Elisha, uh, putting up with all those people, kind of getting in his face. And, you know, you can say all sorts of bad things when someone is bereaved. Just don't say anything at all. <laughs> And wait for the Lord to say what he needs to say, because his words are the ones that heal. And we describe this meal as the feast of the Lord, um, because it is a feast for, for our soul, to nourish one another with communion and fellowship, to nourish ourselves with the promise that God will satisfy us, that we can get through this world, and that we can hold fast to who God has called us to become. That he is, just as he was transfigured on that mountain, that he is transforming us bit by bit until one, way, one day we can be like him when we see him. And so I want to invite us now to a time of communion. It's a pretty short talk, I realize, but uh, I think that's all I feel like I need to say or I want to say. Um, and I want to I wanna be satisfied, but I'm going to be content here with you guys.